is WFG Insights, your download on the real estate market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending, keeping you informed and ahead of the market. In this episode, the reality of the real estate market with WFG chairman and founder Patrick Stone's projections for the path forward in what will continue to be a challenging market. Pat and the uh, you heard it here first department. Uh, you did hear it here first. I think going back a year ago, when you correctly forecast that uh, home prices would not decline at all. In fact, they would continue to rise, and that was in the face of uh, so many so-called experts who were predicting a crash at the time or other issues. Obviously, you called it. So here's your chance to brag a little bit <laughs> and tell us what did you see that all the other uh, folks out there didn't see. Well, one of the problems we have is that the, a lot of the media that reports on real estate also reports on the financial system and Wall Street. And they don't understand real estate, so they assume the markets work the same as Wall Street. And just for what it's worth, there are a lot of very smart people on Wall Street that make investments based on future expectations. Now, if you do this randomly without research, it's called speculation. A lot of them do research. They make good bets. Some don't. But a tremendous amount of Wall Street's movement is based on future expectations or slash speculation. Real estate, residential real estate, at least 90% to 95% in average market is based on strictly on supply and demand. Uh, yes, there is some speculation. It may get as high as 10 or 15% when we had all the iBuyers, everybody jumping in the market that didn't really understand it. But in a typical market, it's 5 to 10% maybe speculation or people buying rentals and stuff like that. But you know, the reality is that almost all the driver in residential real estate is supply and demand. You don't have to be a genius to figure out that supply is low and demand is high. We have underbuilt for over 12 or 13 years now. Plus, we have a large population group coming into first-time homebuyer age. And the desirability has been heightened because of the pandemic. So very, very, very strong demand, very poor supply. And it would take an idiot not to figure out that that means prices will go up. <laughs> Pardon me. I shouldn't say it quite so bluntly, but that's why. Hey, you can say that on this podcast. <laughs> no no one's going to care. Uh, you know, we've talked about the housing inventory issue. I want to drill a little deeper into this because, you know, everybody in the industry who's watching this and home buyers out there wonder, you know, how long? How long until, you know, this frees up a bit? Um, when do you think we'll really start to feel the impact of more inventory? I look around our neighborhood. Uh, we've got Dr. Horton to the uh, east of us putting up 2,000 plus homes here in the next couple of years. We've got the local builders doing some infill and finishing out uh, some subdivisions that were already underway. So it's good to see. But when do you think it's going to happen that we'll, you know, we'll start to really feel like, oh, okay, hey, I can really go shop for a home now because there's some inventory out there. Yeah, there's a couple factors that play into this. Obviously, new construction is an important component of it. And candidly, builders have underbuilt to demand for probably close to 15 years now. With the Great Recession, they pulled way back. They were very slow to come back into the market and, and built at a level very far below actual demand. We had a very strong increase in multifamily, but single family has been just is still still below where it should be. Uh, although builders are now picking up. So that makes a tremendous amount of difference. The other factor here is that high interest rates does impact people's willingness to sell. So uh, if they have a low mortgage rate 
and uh, mortgage rates are now above 7%. They have a 3% mortgage rate. They're going to wait a little bit before they sell their home and take out another mortgage. So that is impacting people. The final thing is that we've really had, although this doesn't get much press, we've had a steady decline in the amount of moves per capita since about 1985. If you go back to 1980 to 1985, we saw 18 to 20% of the population moving annually. Uh, right prior to the pandemic in 2019, that was down to about eight and a half percent of the population. So you've had a social change in terms of movements. You have high interest rates that lock people in because they have low interest rates. That sort of makes them less inclined to sell their home and move. And then you have builders still getting their, their volume back up. I do believe builders will get back into the market and a very large uh, at a very large scale over the next year, year and a half. And if they build at that level for three to five years, we will be in a much better place in terms of supply and demand. Okay, so three to five years, really. It's going to take a few years. It's going to take a while, yes. Yeah. You're going to have yeah. to have interest rates come down, builder volume go up, so forth and so on. Yeah, you touched on mortgage interest rates too, and I, I would hope by now that everybody who watches this or listens to this podcast uh, knows that we all know that when the Fed raises rates, it doesn't have a direct impact on mortgage rates, although they do track with the 10-year, and we've seen about a 300 basis point spread, which is about 100 basis points more than normal here. So that's pushed the 30-year fixed mortgage into the low sevens, depending on the day. As we record this here on August 17th, we're around you know 7.1 to 7.25% on a 30-year fixed. Um, I want to talk about the rate thing here. And you know what we've seen from the Fed here in the past week, you dig through the minutes uh, from the Fed meeting, and some of them are still concerned about inflation. Others aren't. There seems to be a real, you know, lack of direction now as to what's going to happen. The consensus was the rate hikes were almost over. And now you read the minutes and it looks like maybe they're not. My guess for what it's worth is that they're over. Inflation is coming down. Uh, as we've discussed before, both CPI and PCE have a large component based on rent and owner's equivalent rent. That has come down. Uh, cost of supply chain uh, uh, clogging up, that's gone now. We're back to normal cost to ship uh, goods internationally. The one thing that has kept inflation up is, is the service sector has come back into play. In other words, we're gearing back up in the service sector, and we're almost done gearing back up in the service sector. That has caused wage increases because we had to hire people to get people come back to work. They got wage increases. So that labor cost has stuck around a little bit longer than we would like, but it, it now has probably peaked and is coming down a little bit. So I think inflation is over. I think the Fed members that are being cautious are being cautious. I don't see anything right now that's going to cause rates or cause the Fed to have another rate increase. I mean, obviously something could happen that we don't anticipate. But my gut is right now that the Fed will stay where they are through the first quarter of next year, and then they'll have their first rate cut. Uh, the reason they're going to stay there for so long, if I can belabor the point, is there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty out there right now that is impacting people's psychology. I mean, we have... Uh, we have a tremendous amount of credit debt in this country. We have credit card debt over a trillion dollars now. 
We have household debt at 17 trillion. We have a global public debt at 92 trillion. Uh, that's 400 up 400 percent since the year 2000. Uh, we has U.S. government debt is <laughs> a debt to GDP of 118 percent. That's caused a lot of consternation. The uh, political overreaction or the politicization of the debt issue with the debt ceiling debate probably impacted mortgage rates and rates by a half percent. It was so unnecessary and so stupid of our politicians to have that fiasco of a debate uh, because it really cost the American consumer uh, money and uh, it was really it really had a negative impact on the rate environment. So, you you know, inflation is abating, but you have the debt ceiling issue. You have the tremendous amount of credit out there. We still have banking issues. You know, we allegedly had a banking crisis. It really wasn't. But you have the regulators now asking banks to increase the amount of assets they have. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. We're going to see what happens there. But there's a lot of uncertainty in the banking world about that. We have the commercial real estate uh, ghost out there where people are worried that the commercial real estate market is going to crash. Candidly, there's a lot of money on the sidelines waiting to buy those assets at, at reduced value. So I don't see a crash coming, but I do see a major change in ownership, if you will, uh, and people acquiring commercial real estate at significant discounts to where they are right now. And of course, you have geopolitical uncertainties still. The Ukraine war is still going. When Russia shut down the shipment of grain through the Black Sea, that had a little bit of a negative impact. So that geopolitical uncertainties out there. So in sum, what you have is a big cloud hanging over our head, a big cloud of uncertainty uh, and a lot of issues that make people nervous. So consequently, you talked about the 10-year T-bill. 30-year mortgage rates, fixed mortgage rates are at three points above the 10-year T-bill. Historically, they've always been between one and a half to two. So that's a good measurement of the emotional impact of all this on us. And uh, it's going to take a while to dissipate, but I do think by first quarter next year, the Fed will cut rates. Okay, that's good to hear. Practical applications here, and I know this may sound like a crazy question, but particularly with the way you know lenders are being scrutinized right now, but we all know what happened back in 2008 with subprime, and that's not even on the table right now. But are there, you know, aside from, you know, interest rate buy downs or adjustable rate mortgages, are there any other ideas on the table from lenders to try to help people buy homes? Is there anything cooking there? Well, I, I'm not, a, you know, lenders are doing buy downs, and there is, a, I think, a growing movement in the buy down area. I do think you're going to see more contract seller carry back finance contract come into play, but not you know not by the lenders, but in the marketplace. Again, it depends a lot on how long this goes on. If it goes on six to nine more months, I think we'll get through it without any dramatic changes. If it doesn't, then we will see a major movement to uh, uh, seller carry back financing. People want to buy a home and people want to sell a home and uh, 7% kind of gets in the way. Although it's kind of funny, you know, and you and I have had this conversation before. I've been at this a long, long time. I started in 1975, mortgage rates were 8.6%. First time they got under 7.5% in my career was 1993, 18 years later. So this is high mortgage rates based on the recent past. We get mortgage rates under 6%. I think the market picks back up and it quits being an issue. We get them under 5%. People will be very, very happy and market will grow dramatically. We'll never see them down on 3% again. That was, a, that was an aberration caused by quantitative easing. Good point. And even with that, we also 
we need the inventory. So it's kind of a one-two punch here. If rates did drop, it, it, it might free things up a little bit, but we still need inventory, right? Absolutely. Uh, the dropping of rates would increase the inventory, but we need to get back to the point where we could probably spend an hour talking about what inhibits inventory. Uh, there are a lot of factors in it. I mean, there was a lot of uh, proactive zoning implemented in the West in the uh, 1980s. Uh, coming back to bite us now, we need to be a little bit more proactive about designing uh, zoning codes so that people can do infill construction, so forth and so on. And I do think that'll happen over the next few years. You know what I'm seeing? There's plenty of homes for sale up in Park City. So if you'd like to, <laughs> yeah. if you'd like to put down four or five million dollars, you've got you know, pick of the litter with some beautiful homes and lots of luxury lots too in our neighborhood. Uh, and I have to give myself credit because about a year ago, I told my lovely wife, who you know, I said, just wait, just wait. And <laughs> I mean, there are a dozen lots that have come on up the hill from us, anywhere from, you know, half million to a million, right? And I don't know that they'll get that. I think they'll probably sit for a while, but it was interesting to see all the people that tied up dirt with the anticipation that they were probably going to build maybe the home of their dreams. And now I guess they figure the home they're in with the 3% mortgage rate is just fine, right? And people are, you know, the remodeling business is pretty good right now. (laughs) (laughs) We'll probably continue to be so, yeah. So let's uh, take all of this and try to help people, uh, particularly those in the industry. You've been at this, as you said, for almost 50 years. You've been through a lot of cycles and they're all different there's you know some similarity and we've talked about that but what do you tell real estate agents right now i know you know if you were an agent that was not doing a lot of business you're probably doing none now and and possibly looking at other career options if you haven't already what do you tell those veterans out there that you know have seen their business significantly drop here in the past year and are starting to get concerned what do you tell the real estate agents out there and i know you talk to them every day share that with us if I may, I'm going to go back to my uh, belief in the Stoic philosophy of, uh, of Epictetus, who said, know what you control and what you don't control and spend your time and energy on what you can control. Don't waste time, energy or emotion on things you can't control. So if you're sitting there, there's a lot in this market that can take up all your energy and enthusiasm, a lot of negativity. Right. But what you can control is your own behavior, your own actions and the discipline with which you approach your job. The reality is the market is going to be uh, suppressed until we start seeing rate cuts by the Fed and we see mortgage rates come down. Again, I do believe it picks up under seven. I think it picks up under more under six down to five to five and a half. We get back to a little more normal market. So what you need to do is survive till that point, but also build a pipeline so that when that happens, you really benefit tremendously from your personal discipline. You know, so it's a combination of focus, uh, a disciplined approach to building a pipeline, uh, you know, making sure that you uh, you understand who wants and needs a home, what they're looking for. And a lot of people will make decisions to buy a home based on quality of life versus cost because they will believe that you, they can refinance it at some point. And I think that will be the case. I also think that we're going to see more use of seller carryback financing, which is if you have a servicer to administer that contract is a way to kind of bridge the gap until rates come down when you can refi. So I really encourage everybody to sit down, really think seriously about what they can actually control and what they should focus their time and energy on and get real disciplined about building a pipeline. You will do deals now. You will do more deals and be very, very successful 
if you have a network or a pipeline of potential buyers or sellers based on your interaction with them. One thing that I encourage everybody to do is become very knowledgeable about the market you operate in because people will make decisions on who they use based on their assumption about how knowledgeable that person is in the market and what's going on. So you can control some things here and you can work hard. You will make a living and survive and then you will do real well when the market turns. That's good advice. You know, so don't stop. Keep prospecting. That's a big thing. And, you know, I think a lot of everybody does this when you're busy, you're transacting, you don't have time to prospect. So you have to shift from, you know, obviously at this point, if you have it, maybe you're a little behind, but not too late to catch up and be honest with people, right? Hey, we'll keep looking for a home for you, but we may not find it. But, you know, here's where we're at in the market and then stay in touch with them, right? I mean, contact management's got to be super important right now. It is super important. And there are CRM software out there and programs. And I mean, there's a lot of ways to attack it. Take the time to set up a process where you're building that pipeline. And then you have that pipeline for the rest of your career and you'll do very, very well. Now, the mortgage professionals out there, oftentimes it'd be a refi market. It's certainly not a refi market right now. And it's tough to find a home for a lot of people out there. What do you tell uh, the mortgage professionals out there What's your advice to them? Well, a lot of the same things that the realtor needs to do in terms of building a network and making sure that you're in contact with people. If your lender has a buy down program, make sure people know about it. You know, that is getting a lot of traction where offered. I guess the biggest thing I think that mortgage professionals can do is make sure their realtor contacts uh, are educated on what's going on, what's available, how to go about doing it. So share the knowledge so that people look to you as an expert or a, a resource uh, to getting things done. And for small independent title agents out there, it's not a direct consumer business. We know that uh, you're relying on referrals and relationships with those real estate professionals, those mortgage professionals. What should the title agents be doing right now? Well, uh, every title agent should be obviously like realtors and, and mortgage people. They should be making sure that their sales effort is focused on people that have business and that they're in front of them. And a lot of times persistence wins. So be real disciplined about it. The other thing independent title agents need to do is they need to cut costs. Let's be really honest here. We do not control or create demand for our product. However, we can be very disciplined about controlling our cost. Take a hard look at your cost, move fixed cost to variable cost. WFG has a great program for that called Blocks, where you can, instead of paying a constant amount for certain services, you can just pay for them when you need them. So try to move fixed cost to variable cost, get disciplined about your financial statement and go through it line by line by line. Uh, you're gonna have to cut staff, uh, you may have to cut staff, but you absolutely need to reduce your expenses. Uh, the market is down depending on where you are, anywhere from 35 to 50% from a year ago or two, a year and a half or two years ago. I, well, wherever you are, it varies, but it's down significantly. So do whatever you can to cut your costs. What you really need to do is you need to survive until the market turns. So make sure you move fixed costs to variable costs. Make sure you're very disciplined about it. And then make sure your sales effort is intense and ramp it up. Ask your people to do twice as many contacts as they were doing before the downturn. Roll up your sleeves, in other words. Amen. (laughs) Get after it. Well, uh, I think the word we used before we hit the record button was uh, interesting. 
interesting times. <laughs> and uh, cool. But, you know, there's opportunity ahead here for those people in the industry who do roll up their sleeves and are willing to, to go for it. Because when this comes back, you tell me what you're feeling. I feel like there will be a lot of pent-up demand. And when we do get that inventory and we do see rates come back down, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good again. Well, Uncle Pat is planning on 2025 being a heck of a good year. Uh, and my, I will substantiate that by telling you I'm looking for acquisitions right now because I do think it's going to be good. I think it'll be second half of 24 will be good. 2025 should be excellent. And, you know, let's just be really straight up about everything here. The players in this industry who are the most disciplined, the most focused and work the hardest will be around to make money. Those that don't won't. That's what it comes down to. Well, Patrick, uh, good to see you. Hope you had a great summer. Uh, We know we've got the big economic update coming with Bill Connerly, September 12th, where the two of you kind of joust and go back and forth. We always look forward to that. So we'll take September off and we'll see you again in October, my friend. That sounds great. Thank you, Brian. Thanks to WFG chairman and founder Patrick Stone for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG. WFG.